0: We are on Hollywood Boulevard with a special
1: guest Hello Yes, with a special guest. My my quarantine roommate, my fiance, Alyssa, is back after uh, a brief stint away from the boulevard. So welcome <laughs> Alyssa.
0: Hi, thanks for having me. So, welcome to, yeah, week number, I think we're on week number four, in the middle of week number four of everyone's shelter in place, or quarantine, or whatever the hell it's called. Um, So, there's been a whole lot of watching shit going on.
1: That's right.
0: Um, So, I guess, do you guys want to kick it off with what you saw on Disney Plus?
1: Yeah, so we were a little bit late to the game with getting Disney+, Plus because we already had so little time, so much to see. We have now found ourselves with a bit more time and still so much to see. Uh, so we signed up, and um, one of the great things is that Alyssa is the number one Simpsons fan in the world, so now she has all those episodes <laughs> again. Um, but we got to catch a movie that just came to Disney+, Plus, uh, not quite two months, I think, after... It's theatrical release, and that is Onward. Did you? Are you familiar with it, Karen?
0: I know nothing about this one.
1: Buttercup, do you want to describe it?
0: Sure. So it's um, it's a
2: world where, uh, like magical beings. Well, basically, the whole conceit is that magical beings, like wizards and trolls and dragons, etc. They have stopped because of technology and because of the way that the world has developed have they've stopped using their magical powers and sort of fallen into a sense of normalcy so I don't even know what the main characters are supposed to be trolls
1: I thought they were el they're elves
2: elves elves yes so we're following an elf family um two brothers and their mom their dad is passed away um, in this magical, you know, there's like centaurs and dragons and um, I can't remember what that other character is supposed to be. A macaw? I don't know. Anyway. um, So on the youngest brother's birthday, and he's a bit of a nerd. He doesn't have friends. The older brother is more, still believes in magic and he plays a game that's like um, Magic the Gathering. And um, on the younger brother's birthday, 16th birthday, their dad has left him a special present. And basically it's a spell Mm -hmm. to get him to the father to come back to life for 24 hours. But while the spell is happening they get distracted and only his legs come back. So they, the two brothers, go on a quest to get a magical stone, if I'm remembering correctly.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Do the spell again and try to get his other half. So it's it's um it's sort of like a picaresque with these two brothers and a set of legs.
1: <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> And so, so it's actually, it's really sweet because it's, it's it's the two brothers who are voiced by Tom Holland, AKA our current Spider-Man and Chris Pratt. And, and it's their journey to try and reunite with the father. They never really got to know. And in doing so, they actually get to learn more about each other. And I found it to be very sweet and not overly manipulative. And I thought the animation itself was very impressive um, I really liked it, and, uh, you know, it was sad to remember that it kind of got not even a lukewarm kind of reception upon its yeah. release, um, it has, and I think that's hooey.
2: Well, it has, like, it had, like, an 85% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is pretty good, but it's pretty bad for a Pixar movie, because... Yeah, I yeah, feel it's like
1: those kind those of viewed is... as, like, a step back for Pixar, which I think is lame.
2: Well, I remember a lot of the criticism was, like, oh their dad is a pair of pants. And it's like, well, that's the point. Um, the, the point is not their relationship with their father. It's their relationship with each other. And um, exactly. again, I'll spoil the movie morning. I'm going to warn everyone. I'll spoil it because Spoilers. Spoilers you know, coming. I thought it was really brave. I'm always one of those writers who I'm like, you should kill all your darlings and, and kill your main characters. And, and, not go with the easy happy ending so i was glad that we don't get we never really see the whole father because the younger brother realizes well i have had this father figure in my life my whole life and it's been my older brother um and that's what we're supposed to take from it not that oh i got to reunite with my dad that i never knew and hasn't really meant anything to me because I, I never got to meet him. Um, so I, I thought it was really gutsy of them to do, to to not show the father, to not have a big emotional reunite, reuniting scene. Um, so I really liked, I liked that a lot.
0: Okay. Yeah,
1: and, and the, the voice performances are very good too. The whole thing, um, and I should credit the director, Dan Scanlon, um, it's actually, it's actually very good and not overly manipulative and knows how to avoid the formula, um, in different ways. So, yeah, I really liked it. I was, I was glad we saw it. So thank you, Disney Plus.
0: Cool. Um, when did that come out? I feel like February, February? March, beginning yeah. of March, I think. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Is, is this one of the ones that they put on streaming just very quickly because of the pandemic? Or is this how Disney yeah. is now releasing stuff? No, no I think, the I think they rushed
1: this. But the difference is this one went straight to Disney Plus so you could watch it for free with a subscription as opposed to some of the other movies which just came to on demand for 20 bucks quicker than they would have otherwise.
0: Oh, okay. So, But this was in theaters. This did get a theatrical release. It had,
1: yeah, the- it had a theatrical release.
0: Yeah. I don't even remember it. Like, don't remember hearing anything about it, which is weird because usually Pixar has great fanfare around the movies that come out. Yeah, it's true. So, well,
1: we're here. We're here to say it should have had more fanfare. Oh. Um, and I don't know what's going to happen with movies for the rest of the year, but I do hope it's one that's remembered a little bit more fondly uh, at the end of the year.
0: Um, Whatever
1: is in the mix. <laughs>
0: So, um, I just want to move over to Netflix because I have to say in terms of like pandemic viewing, they're kind of kicking ass and taking names right now, I think.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, they've certainly got more content than anyone else and they just keep releasing it all. So what have you been watching?
0: Yeah. Well, I just don't know if they've like made a strategic decision at the last minute to push out all this content because it's a lot of stuff and it's all, you know, pretty impressive. Um, so we're gonna talk about Unorthodox, which is a I guess that what are they they were calling it like a not not it's a limited series. Not a it was sort of like their Netflix's version of a mini series. Right. Because right. yeah, yeah. it's only four,
1: four, four, four contained episodes. Yeah.
0: Right. And I don't think it's gonna be like getting like a second season. Like I feel like they've yeah, wrapped I, it up. I asked Alyssa
1: if she thought it would and I Tend to think not. I mean, I think the story feels
2: complete as it's yeah. Going to Yeah, a friend of mine who is not really a reliable source, but he <laughs> uh, he said there's they're in talks to have season two, but um, make it that you know he's got no connections. Is what I'm saying, but uh, I don't know. Right. I would I'd i be I, back I for like a second it. season, but I don't think it necessarily needs it.
0: Yeah. So um, right. So, yeah. This is, um, uh, this is based on a book. Um, it's a memoir and I'm going to forget the writer's name here. So uh, Deborah Feldman, and I remember when this memoir came out, there was quite a bit, um, in the press about this. Uh, she, uh, was, um, uh, Orthodox Hasidic Jew and uh, from Williamsburg and she left, and this is always a very big, very difficult, this big deal, very difficult thing to do. Um, and, uh, particularly, uh, as a woman and she brought her kid, I think it was one kid that she had with her, which is another thing that's a very difficult thing to do. Um, and, and she managed to leave and forge a life and part of that life included writing this memoir. And, um, and it's sort of a very... It's its almost loosely based. It's a very fictionalized account of what yeah. actually happened to her. Um, but I think that... I, I haven't read the memoir. I, I would like to. Um, but I haven't actually read it. But this is... Um, I think they did a really good job with the adaptation. Uh, so basically, we have... Um, Esty, or Esther Shapiro, um, she's our, our main protagonist, and she gets married off to uh, young y- who or Yakov, and, um, when she's like 17 years old. And the actor playing Esty, Shira Haas, is
1: absolutely extraordinary. Yeah, she's extraordinary.
0: amazing. Yeah. She is absolutely extraordinary. She's like this little waif of a thing, and she looks so young. Um, and And her whole thing, I found her portrayal of this character, very haunting and very riveting. And, and the other thing that I will say about this is also, and props to the Amit Rahav who played her husband, Yankee, wh- who is also probably, I don't know how old he was. It wasn't clear, but also very young And, you know, it would have been really easy for them to make him the bad guy because that is a lot of women are in these very abusive, are stuck in these very abusive relationships. Um, And this feels uh, kind of abusive in that sort of like emotional, uh, like more of an emotional way, definitely not a physical way. Um, but you really sympathized with him too, because it was like, I kept watching this and going, my God, they were just kids. Like they were just kids thrown together in this arranged marriage and they literally know nothing. They're like both Jon Snow. They, they know absolutely nothing. They know nothing of relationships. They know nothing of sex. And it's not like he knows and she doesn't know. Like they both literally have no idea what they're doing.
1: And and of of course the the world around them offers them no guidance, nor sympathy, nor patience, which drives the frustration even more.
0: Right. And you sort of see, and again, like this is the sort of extraordinary work of this actor is you see her move through, the excitement of the marriage, the excitement of, of making the pairing, and she's a very devout. And you know, and she comes from a very troubled background. Her own mother left the community. Um, I don't know if that's true in the in Deborah's actual story. Do do you guys know? I don't know. I don't
1: and, and like you, we both now want to read the memoir ourselves. Okay.
0: Um, so, so I'm not clear, but in this telling of it, the mom has already left. The, uh, Esty's dad is, uh, alcoholic and mentally ill and very unstable. Um, it was also an arranged marriage and Esty's mom was actually flown from London and sort of like dropped into Williamsburg to marry this complete stranger who has all of these, all of this baggage and all of these issues. And, um, and she ran off and when Esty was really young, We find out later she tried to take her daughter with her, but because of the, you know, because they basically strong armed her to give the child back, um, and she ran off to Germany. And when she finds out that her daughter is going to get married, I guess they let her come back for the wedding. They she's ostracized, but not ostracized so much that she can't be there for this wedding for whatever reason. Even though she wasn't really in Estee's life. Um, and she gives her these documents and she's like, this is proof of your German, you know, your German roots. And if you need to, you can get citizens, citizenship in Germany. And I want to make sure that you have this stuff and hide it and keep it safe. And so after being married for about a year and having all sorts of issues with her husband and, you know, he, they want her to get pregnant right away, they're having issues with just even like the act of sex because they don't yeah. know anything. Um, so she's clearly not going to get pregnant because they they can't do it. Um, and he keeps talking to his mom about it and, and his mom is like getting involved and she's very unhappy about that. She's also been see- privately behind the scenes, seeing a, a woman who's teaching her how to play the piano. Um, and she has to give that up. um, even though it's something that she's been kind of doing in secret that, that I wasn't really clear about cause it was kind of in secret, but it was kind of like a known secret. Um, because it was in lieu of this woman paying her grandfather rent. Yeah. So that I thought was a little yeah. bit strange. Um, but whatever didn't detract. And she basically like runs away. Um, she hawks her jewelry and she runs away to Germany to start a new life. And then we find out that when she does run away, she is by now pregnant. They've done it once. They've been successful once and she's gotten pregnant and you know, when she finds out she's pregnant, she's, she makes the decision that she wants to leave and she does. And she goes and tries to forge a new life in this strange land. And even though there were moments that were like, I don't know that that would happen. She makes friends awfully quickly. These friends are quick to bring her in. I still did not care. It, some of it no happens. it
1: works it, it 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 works very adroitly that she you know she makes friends with a group of music students, so okay, you figure these people are young and you know free spirits and inclusive so that's sort of like enough to go on um and and so we we meet her essentially as she's arrived in Berlin and is starting this new scary life and then we get a lot of flashbacks that fill in a lot of the blanks that you just filled in really well Karen so it also works as like a mystery because we don't know exactly who she is and what's her deal and what is driving her. Um, And then there's a bit of suspense too, as we also know she is being followed while she is in Berlin and they are closing in on her. And what will that mean? Um, And, and I just can't say enough about how, The subtle shifts in what Shirahaz does and so much silent acting is telling you everything you need to know because there's an emotional trust with her before we even know the background about her community and what she wants that we sort of instantly bond with her. And that's a very difficult thing to negotiate that she does so well.
0: You know what I found out too, after watching this is that, um, so basically one of the things that makes this, uh, series, this limited series so novel is that they're basically saying that this is a Yiddish language series. Um, because it is mostly in Yiddish. It's um, mostly
1: in Yiddish at it's the first.
0: And, and so it's subtitled. Um, and the actress, Shira did not speak Yiddish when she came to the to this, this particular, when she came to do the production, she she is an Israeli actor, but she did not speak Yiddish.
1: I didn't realize that. Yeah,
0: which I thought was really interesting. And so basically, like, she learned what, like, to say the words, but she, she had to, like, fit, you know, sort of, like, work hard to figure out what their meaning was, like, what the meaning was of the words, which I thought was really kind of amazing and like that's like the whole like the like honestly the whole cast was quite good and they're all or most of them israeli yes actors that you do not know would have never heard of um this is there are no stars here and i think that you know hollywood will snap them all up because they were really all quite wonderful
1: yeah, it's a terrific cast. And, we, you know, Listen, I were watching saying, you know, there are the heavy hitters people talk about every year. And we're like, we hope this somehow factors in there that people remember this because it's, you know, it's such quality storytelling and it's such a wonderful acting. We found it riveting. We mm. did not think we were going to watch something else. And that other thing, I think, was also subtitled. And instead we were like, well, let's give Unorthodox
0: yeah. a try. And-
1: And we kind of forgot that it wasn't a problem to to click right into it.
0: Yeah, no, I... um, Were you going to watch Platform? No, Um, actually, were we going to watch that Javier
2: Bardem... um...
1: Oh, yeah, we were thinking about watching a movie with Javier Bardem. I was like, I'm too
2: tired to read. Oh, and then you (laughs) ended up on Orthodox
0: with all the subtitles. Well, I think, you know... The, the other thing that I thought was really fascinating is that, and I think I kind of touched upon it with, you know, talking about Yankee and how he was also so sympathetic, like it's very, um, I think particularly, you know, if you're secular, it's kind of easy to demonize this community in a way because there is a lot going on here that is very, very repressive. Um, and it's a bit of a head scratcher, you know, where I'm just like, well, if you're a woman, why wouldn't you want to leave? You know, all of these marriages are arranged. Um, you basically exist to push out kids um, because I don't have the sort of grounding in faith that um, the, the, they have, which is really what drives the community. And so, you know, in a lot of these stories, because... It is hard to leave, and whenever you do leave, it is a quote unquote escape. Um, sometimes it is super easy, um, particularly in pop culture, to to demonize it or call it up as an other a quote unquote other. But I think that they handled yeah. the community really, really well and didn't and and were also very sympathetic to the community as a whole, um, which I think worked really, really well, and was pretty refreshing to see.
1: Yeah, I agree. I th- I think they don't, I don't think they clarify all the mystique you have about that world, um, but they don't have to. What they're not doing is condescending to it or villainizing uh, everyone, um, which I think is tricky. And I'm not sure what the portrayal of that community is or her family is in the memoir, But for this adaptation, for those purposes, I think they give you uh, a very trenchant portrait of that community, for sure.
0: And there were sort of fascinating peaks behind the curtain, like you saw a good chunk of the wedding scene and the wedding ritual that happens and, um, you know, the music and the singing, uh, you know, which I thought was also kind of cool. And I was wondering, like, how you know how accurate it was it felt pretty accurate um you know but i i don't know i i have absolutely no idea um but i but that also were like little like just like these cool little peaks into this world that are that is so hidden i guess i mean not hidden in the sense that like you know,
1: I mean, people know about the yeah. community, but they don't experience it. I'm Jewish, but I've not been to an Orthodox wedding. I'm not friends with Hasidim in my daily interactions, so it's as much of a mystery to me. But you, you do feel like, oh, you get to see it. And I just, my guess is it's pretty realistic, the way it's portrayed.
0: And one thing that they did keep driving home, and I think um, it was also a point with Deborah, because when she left, um, she didn't go straight to Germany. This was one of the, you know, sort of diversions of, of the story of the story for the, for the movie. She went to upstate New York and went to Sarah Lawrence college, um, as a single mom. And so she, she didn't go to music school. She went to like basically writing school. Um, but so same idea, but, But she eventually moved to Germany. And what was really compelling with this, too, is they made a lot of parallels between what had happened, you know, during the Holocaust and in particular places Mm -hmm. in Germany that Mm -hmm. were tied to like, you know, Holocaust locations and, you know, like the lake apparently had something to do like across the lake was where Hitler came up with his final plan or whatever, you know, and so it had all of these really sort of extraordinary connections to, um, this horrific time, you know. This, the, that wiped out most of her family, for example, and that she went back and, you know, one of the things that they kept saying or, you know, when her husband and his cousin went to try and get her was sort of like, how can you, how can you want to be here? This place is nothing but death. Why would you even want to come back? Like, we escaped it, and there's a reason why we escaped it. And so for her to go back and want to put her roots down in this country, I thought was also, you know, a really poignant part of the story.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, I can't recommend this highly enough. This is one of the things I've seen all year in any platform that I'm like, oh, this is, this is terrific. Yeah.
0: There, there were a lot of like, really, it was very layered and very complex, but ultimately like very satisfying to watch. Indeed. Um, so I hope it does. Is this Emmy? Is this what it would qualify for? Would it be the Emmys? Yeah. I think
1: think it would be Emmy eligible. All
0: right. I hope that they, I hope that they get a nod because I, I think that everybody really, um, deserves it with this one. Same. Yeah. Um, so also on Netflix can I, I just have to talk about this because, you know, don't you find yourself sometimes sitting around and you go, Well, what the hell happened to Mel Mel Gibson anyway? No.
2: No. <laughs> I
0: mean, nothing against him, I just don't.
1: <laughs> I mean, Nothing against him I don't, but also I have plenty against him, so I won't.
0: (laughs) Right. I mean, because I feel like the last time we heard from Mel Gibson, he was, like, doing something horrific, like shouting anti-Semitic things at somebody or, like, you know, really horrible racist things or, like, whatever he was doing, you know, that that apparently he was a boozer and was blaming it on the booze.
1: Well, yes, but anti-Semitic things. And he said all these terrible misogynist things. But then in twenty sixteen he directed the movie Hexar Ridge and got a best director nomination and it got nominated for Best Picture. So it was like, well, all's forgiven. Welcome back.
0: Oh, interesting.
2: It was also I think re- Daddy's Home Part Two or whatever that movie oh, was. Oh, that that's
1: yeah. true. And he was yeah. Mark
0: Goldberg's dead. Oh, I forgot about that too. Well, okay. So this was also in 2016. Um, an oddball little movie called Bloodfather. Father. And I can't believe you guys did not hear about this. This thing... No. This thing was fan-fucking-tastic. Oh, my God.
1: Uh, Tell us more. Okay.
0: So, basically, Mel Gibson is an ex-con. And he... And and also an ex-alcoholic. He's a recovering alcoholic. He has recently, I guess maybe in the past year, got out of prison um, for, I think it was a nine year stint and he's living in the desert of like Southern California in this weird little pop-up kind of trailer park community, um, where he's, he's, he's making a living doing tattoos out of, out of his trailer. Um, meanwhile, his daughter has run away from home at some point while he was in prison, there's $30,000 bounty, uh, you know, bounty reward out for her. She's um, 17 years old. Um, and I guess she's been away for a year or two, not very clear how long she's been missing. Um, and she comes back into his life with a bang. So basically she's got wrapped up, uh, with some very bad people, um, like drug cartel people. And, um, and in her boyfriend who is the nephew of this big cartel boss in Mexico was sent to California because he was apparently a pain in the guy's ass in Mexico. So they're trying to get him away from the family business. And so he set him up in Southern California and said, okay, you keep an eye on things there for me. And so he was supposed to, he was tied up in real estate because he was, he had all of these different rental properties that he used as stash houses. Um, And so he would stash money and drugs there, but he was stealing from his cartel uncle um, by taking things out of the houses and blaming it on the tenants and saying the tenants did it. And she is in one of these houses, um, but she is also his girlfriend. And so all of this stuff happens. He's trying to get her to kill another tenant in another house that he says is stealing from them. She gets freaked out. She doesn't want to kill him. She accidentally shoots the boyfriend in the neck, right? So we think he's dead. And she is now on the run because the cartel is after her. So she calls up her dad. And so basically what happens is the two of them go on the run from a cartel. And, um, and it's basically about their adventures, um, trying to survive this cartel and, um, and how her dad helps them and how it builds up their relationship, this relationship that they never really had because he's been in prison the whole time and they're virtual strangers. Um, You know, it was one of those things where I know Mel Gibson is a really horrible person, but, you know, and now you never want to separate the two, but it was one of those movies that reminded me how good of an actor Mel Gibson could be. Um, Because, yes, he was just that good, and he is like, you know, haggard and old and sounded like he smokes a carton of cigarettes a day. And he was just really, it was kind of like Mad Max at 65. Yeah. I you know, that. and, and it was great. And so anyway, you know, it was great supporting cast. Um, William H. Macy was in it. Um, Miguel Sandoval. Uh, um, a couple of guys uh, that are in the Mayans now. Uh, Raul Puyo and, oh, what is this, Richard Cabral, who is just really fantastic and was actually a real-life gang member before he turned to to acting. Um, And he is always, like, so watchable. He's actually one of my favorite characters in Mayans. Um, So it was just a really fun, um, really, I mean, I hate to say fun, but it was kind of fun. It was really kind of a fun action movie but then it's also about this guy's sort of reckoning with his past and who he was and um and how he is trying to keep his daughter from you know having the same fate that he did
1: no it sounds like it's got all the makings of a really good movie i don't know how i didn't know about it not that i may have run to watch it but um i'm not discrediting you know it's bona fides i just didn't know
0: I think it was one of, I think it might've been an independent that go, had like, you know, a hot minute release. You know what I mean? Like, I don't yeah. think we're talking about like a real big budget,
2: right. um,
0: you know, play, I, I play bleh, um, movie here. Yeah. I think like the budget was $13 million, which yeah. is not a whole lot. And it's cumulative worldwide gross was under seven. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> which I mean you know I Mel, Mel can't open a movie anymore If, in case people were wondering um, because clearly this thing just like was not on the radar even a little bit um, w- which is you know which was surprising because he does put in a really phenomenal performance and it's a it's a really well done movie
1: good to know yeah. Melissa you think you'll ever watch this?
0: I'd
2: watch it if you wanted to
1: watch it. <laughs> I will add it to our list. Which yeah,
2: is we have a list. Long. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot shorter than it than it was.
1: That's true. We're making headway, um, and very quickly before we park our car away from the boulevard, um, we have caught up on some other movies that we hadn't seen around the holiday season. Uh, we saw Frozen Two, also on Disney Plus. Um, and that was a yawn.
2: We sure did. We sure did see it. <laughs> um,
1: it, yeah, if that's a movie that is largely lacking a plot and an antagonist and a climax, but, you know. And a that's reason
2: fine. to exist.
1: Um, yeah, though I mentioned it uh, a couple weeks back just to talk about how there's that one, like, Brian Adams-y, Richard marx song, Lost in the Woods, that one of the the male characters is voiced by Santino Fontana. No. uh
2: Jonathan Groff.
1: Oh, excuse me. Yes, thank you. Jonathan Groff, of course. Um, and yeah, anything else to say about Frozen 2, Alyssa?
2: Um, I liked when Adina Menzel sang.
1: Yeah. That was fair. Shall we move on to cats?
2: Oh. Yeah, yeah.
1: Alyssa yeah. had been very excited to see the mess that is that movie, and now we know.
2: It's so it's it's not even that it's a mess. It's boring. It is so boring. And like the whole thing is bizarre. Like the CGI is bizarre. Our, the version we watched on Amazon, they had human hands and feet, which was I don't, which was so bizarre. But the thing that got me was, well, there's two things they've they've beefed up the character of Victoria. She's the white kitten. Um, they beefed her up to be the emotional center of the sh- of the movie and pretty much the protagonist. You see in the beginning of the the movie she's thrown out of a car in right, a, a pillowcase basically and it's That's-
1: through her that that she gets to meet all of the other cat characters, yeah. which is how we are introduced to all of them. Because the whole show, like it or not, I mean most people don't, is is a series of introductions and each cat gets a musical number. So yeah. that is what's been transferred the movie version with some pretty bad cgi but but structurally they've made this addition where victoria is now the audience surrogate Mm -hmm. when the audience was typically aligned with one of the other supporting characters in the stage version of cats
2: grizabella so so do and by doing this grizabella is essentially not even needed like her story doesn't really matter like she's not the emotional crux of the movie if there is one um she and it, and i mean the role of grizabella is always has what it is what it always has been, which it's like she comes out and sings memory and then does the big reprise at the end of the show like there's really nothing to it but it's the part that everyone remembers um, was
1: like, like, there's no argument. It's an amazing song. The yeah, whole, sure, the whole sure show is. revolves around
2: it. Yeah. Yeah, and it's the only song anyone likes in the show or knows. But, um, in the movie, she's really got nothing to do. Like, you had the opportunity to maybe beef up that role or beef up anything. Um, you know, they really don't stray from. Far from the material, too much. McCavity has a bit of, they sort of define his um, villainous a little bit more, but not too much. Like, they really could have, like, built a whole world um, as opposed to just taking the show and putting it on stage. And, you know, like Doug said, the stage show is every character has a song. And then Deuteronomy is going to pick which one goes to the heavy side layer. Whereas like in the movie, they essentially make it American Idol for cats. Yeah. And De- Deuteronomy is like, I'm going to hear all your songs and then I'll decide. And it's like, what, really? That's what happens. Like they really drive home that part of everyone gets a song and then I'll decide, um, which was a little jarring too for me. But I, I don't know if I say I wish they hadn't stuck so close to the structure of the show, but they had an opportunity. I think there's like a good movie in there, but it's not the final product. It's not whatever it is that I watched.
1: No, I mean, I think a lot of people make Cats an easy target. Um, but this movie itself, adapted by or directed by Oscar winner Tom Hooper, um, and really created its Lee, own.
2: I think Lee Hall did this. The-
1: yes, who also yeah. did Billy Elliot and Rocket Man, which was one of last year's best movies.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, yeah, not to not to dwell a ton further on Cats, which has already been a big punching bag. Um, but we saw it. We know it. We move on. We moved on to the final Star Wars movie, or so we're told, um, The Rise of Skywalker. And, I mean, is that someone yawning?
0: Yeah. It was not (laughs) me this time. (laughs) It was me.
1: Well, that's probably what I was doing when we watched the movie a couple weeks back. Um, It makes a bunch of significant errors. And to me, it's also, um, uh, I, I just really felt nothing. Watching it, there was no sense of finality or catharsis. It's a pretty, it's a pretty lazy movie. What's shocking to me? No, no, it really isn't. It's just, it's, it's just like another hero's journey in the sci-fi vein that, that has a Star Wars label on it. But what's sort of shocking to me is that Disney, who owns the property, um, I guess I don't know, didn't put their foot down more. It's clear there was no plan uniting all three of these last three movies in the final trilogy um together they seem to have been written as they went along and Ryan Johnson did not, uh, the eighth film and this is the ninth and it feels like they almost work against each other things that were set up or established in number eight go against what was in number seven. And then number nine goes against what happened in episode eight. Um, there's one sort of significant, um, revelation, I suppose is the word that happens early in this movie that I think is pretty astonishingly bad and amateurish and kind of lays the groundwork for what's to come. I understand that initially there was a different script that gave, Carrie Fisher's Princess Leia, a lot more time and action and empowerment. And then that had to be abandoned when she died. Um, but I don't think what they put together in its place uh, yielded much fruit at all. And uh, that is a shame. Um, but now I know it. Now I've seen it. And now we can move on. Alyssa,
2: yeah. did I leave anything out there? No, it's you know, I'm not i a huge Star Wars fan to begin with, but it just felt it's just it was it was so dumb. There was like no they were the stakes felt really low, even though they yeah, the stakes felt really low to me, like the ending was just oh, okay. Like nothing felt and in the end, it was really like, well, what was this new trilogy even about? Because you changed your villain three times. Um, it didn't really feel like I said the stakes didn't feel very high. You kept introducing characters that didn't matter in the end and really had nothing to do. Like it, you kept changing protagonists. It just the whole the whole tr- new trilogy felt, I guess, like a cash grab.
1: Yeah, yeah, a pretty bold one. Just Just because you can
2: doesn't
0: mean you should. Isn't that what fans have been saying for a while now about... I mean, I I, I have never even seen past the first 30 minutes of the original, very first Star Wars. I've hated it that much since I was, like, seven years old and brought to the theater to see it.
2: I feel you. Yeah, my brother watched all three Star Wars from the time he was two years old every day all day so i'd have to hide from it <laughs> growing well, up well, and to also hide from it.
1: and job the hut scared you when you were little
2: yeah thanks doug telling all my secrets <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: not a secret um, yeah, I think it's two sides. I think there are a lot of people that say, well, yeah, it's all a commercial thing, especially now that you know Disney owns it. But I think there are a lot of people that talk out of both sides of their mouth and also get caught up in it every time a new movie comes out yeah, and get all excited. Of,
2: plenty of and people defend still it. defend it, yeah. I liked it more than The Last Jedi. I hated The Last Jedi. Um, like I said, it just feels like there's... No- there's, like, no conflict in these movies.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely right. They We move from set piece to set piece without real clear motivation as to even why. And they feel redundant and things feel unearned and nothing escalates at a pace. And I, I notice that a lot in a lot of the TV series we watch, particularly the streaming ones, which are basically... And I'll probably talk about this more in another podcast, but they basically feel like, well, you've just written and shot a movie. You just... Got more footage and chopped it up into eight episodes or ten episodes, but within the world of each episode, it's not dictated by necessary storyline plotting. Um, it's just a lot of filler and redundancy, and that's what that's what this movie is. So we'll see. But when we see the good things, we like to call it out, like unorthodox. So so don't say we don't we don't spotlight the good stuff when we find it.
2: Yeah, we also enjoyed the third season of The Crown.
1: Okay. Yeah, more so than the first two, in fact. <laughs> so, so yeah, I feel like that's been a full that's been a full trip on the Boulevard, right? It
0: has, it has, and thank you for joining us, Alyssa. Um, yeah. on thank this, you for having me on this <laughs> wild ride um, from Melrose Place to the Boulevard. Um, so, hey guys, uh, have a great quarantine. Continue oh. having a great you quarantine. Too. Yeah. Um, and uh, all listeners, um, stay safe and healthy. And- stay
1: safe. Tell all your friends about us. We're happy to help keep them company. Uh, please give us a five-star iTunes rating. Um, and stay healthy again.
0: Yes. Actually, um, we are the COVID-19 antidote if you give us five stars.
1: <laughs> That's right. You have to give us five stars to find out.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, All right, guys. So uh, we will see you next week.
1: Yep. We look forward for uh, you to join us again when we're on the boulevard. Bye. 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 Bye.